Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Here we are. I am in a fantastic mood. Uh, the smoke has cleared from Oregon. I'm here in Oregon, for those of you who don't know. And I was able to get outside yesterday, which was Sunday, and today, and get in a walk. Oh, so amazing. Uh, with COVID and then not being able to go outside for a good two weeks. Wow. It was a lot. But here we are. We have one uh literally brush breath of fresh air and so that has significantly increased my mood um, a couple announcements before we get started today so as you heard and if you didn't hear head back two episodes I it was our first episode back from our break our summer break and I was talking about how things have changed in my life and how things are moving forward and Prairie Consultants my business that I do diversity equity inclusion and access trainings for companies and organizations is taking off and doing really well um, and so to all those who are out there listening that are business owners or have um, training and education programs in your organization. Disability Employment Awareness Month is coming up here in October and if you have nothing planned I definitely got your back so reach out either to myself at uh, emily.purry at purryco.com or head to our website www.purryco.com that's p-u-r-r-y-c-o.com um, Disability Employment Awareness Month is the month of October so we can do lunch and learns, I can do trainings, we can, whatever you're looking for for your organization, we, we got you. So let's uh, get, get on the website, shoot me an email, whatever you got to do. Um, second, Rapid, the nonprofit that I founded, is looking for volunteers who have experience in grant writing, development, um, and then somebody who loves scouring social media for our rapid retail shop. And so if you are looking for some something to do and time off, whether you're unemployed or just at home, um, definitely head to Rapid. Oregon, R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N dot org, and shoot us a message, or you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at rapidoregon.org, and we are looking for volunteers for a whole bunch of different stuff, but um, let us know. Moving on, um, last week's episode, we talked to Vicki 
And in that conversation, which was a great conversation about her experience as a black woman and a mother and, you know, starting an organization like Circles, uh, Circles WV, it was great to talk to her. And in that conversation, we mentioned intersectionality. And that is what I wanted to come to you today to talk about, especially since this is a podcast all about equity. It is an interesting topic to dive into, and a lot of companies are asking me to speak on behalf of intersectionality. And that's because, for a lot of reasons, they want to serve people who have intersecting identities. They want to talk about racial equity as well as disability as well as LGBTQ. They want to talk about all of it. And so intersectionality is a great way to do that. Um, So I've mentioned the term intersectionality a few times on here. So I want to take it back and bring everybody along who doesn't know what intersectionality is. And that's not a bad thing. It's something we hear a lot in the diversity, equity, inclusion, access world, but it's not as much a common term. So intersectionality is when we are talking about people who, so an individual who have intersecting identities. And those intersecting identities cause overlapping and intersecting streams of discrimination that touch their life. And so Kimberly Williams Crenshaw originally coined this term and she originally talked about it and it was because of a case that was um, discrimination because this person was a woman and she was black and so it wasn't that she was only a woman it wasn't that she was only black it was that her intersecting identity as a black woman was what caused discrimination and this this case actually went all the way up to the courts and it was actually thrown out because there was no proof of anything. There was no term like intersectionality at the time. And so when they looked back at the the, the case where they were talking about she was not hired because she was a black woman. And so they looked, the courts looked at the company and there were black men working there or African-American men and there were white or other um, identified women working there but there were very few of any black women working there so that was the discrimination it was that she was a black woman and because this term didn't exist there was nothing to base it on and so this is where that term came from now when we talk about intersectionality today many times people are talking about intersectionality of being a white mother with a disability who's also a working mother so it's looking at all of those identities at once. Many times you'll hear people get upset about those, some of those identities, though they are part of our identity, yes, but the most discrimination happens when we look at those identities that we don't have a choice. So we had a choice, in most cases, to become a mother. Now, the argument says, what if I didn't have the choice to become a mother? And so then that is looked at differently. 
oftentimes we're talking about intersectionality, not oftentimes we, you'll hear it either talked about as those we don't have a choice of, our race, my disability, um, LGBTQ, the, the, um, your gender, about when we were born. Now, the other side of intersectionality that people are talking about is you have a choice to be a working mother. That is your choice. Um, you have a choice to be a mother. Again, I, that is questionable in, in certain situations. Um, you have a choice to be a one working family. You have a choice to be a person with a disability that is working. So I could be a person with a disability who's on Social Security. That's a choice for some, like for me. I could collect Social Security Disability. That is my choice to not because I want to work and I have the ability to work. Some people don't have the choice to work and so they're on Social Security Disability. So there's different situations where this is all looked at differently. So now that we understand the two ways that intersectionality is looked at. So here are both approaches. So I just want to inform you of that so you're not caught off guard if somebody says Actually, that's not intersectionality. Now, why is this important? Why are we even talking about this? Why do I need to pay attention to this? And so a lot of times when I'm going into companies and organizations, especially um, government organizations who are serving people, this intersectionality plays into government systems and programs so much, it's incredible. And the outcomes of the systems of oppression are so intertwined and so connected that somebody's life could be dramatically affected. So let me paint this picture for you. Is As a person with a disability, I'm legally blind, I have children. So if I was involved with the county, Washington County, and for some reason I was involved with um, Child Protective Services, if something happens to my kids, that could be, this is my example, something I've always been afraid of, is if I lose my kids in a grocery store and I am legally blind like I am, are people going to look at me differently than if I was a sighted person? A sighted person, they lose their kid, people say, oh, it happens all the time, no big deal, the kid is seven, you know, the kid is five, they ran, you know, it happens. But am I going to be looked at differently as a person with a vision disability, well, could you see your kid? Um, you know, are you fit to be a mother, a good mother, as as your as a legally blind mother? Like these questions come up because of my intersecting identity, because I'm a, a mother who is legally blind. Now, if we add in, if I was a person of color, if I was black or African American, or any other identity, how does that, my skin color, play with my disability? And we look at how um, people of color are seen as mothers, as fathers, as, as parents, as grandparents, however it is, and then add in that intersecting disability, and I could very well see me being seen as unfit as a mother because of the discriminations that happens between those two groups, because of the stereotypes that are put on those two groups of people, and now you're combining it into one individual. And so this is why intersectionality is important. It's not just 
the experience of the human, which is obviously hugely important, but it's how the systems of our worlds, of our government, of our, um, our lives intersect and how the outcomes of those situations can dramatically be changed based on the identity of the human. So that's one example of why this is really important. When we're in the workplace, um, workplace treatment, uh, especially right now, so many organizations are developing affinity groups or um, employee resource groups, as they're called. And so all the people with disabilities can go to one group and have a conversation and support and come up with policies and procedures, etc., etc. Um, there's a group for people of color. There's a group for the LGBTQ. There's a group for um, the veterans. There's a group for working parents. There's all these different groups for people. Now, when we look at intersectionality, and if somebody's experiencing two or more identities, where do they give their time to? That's the first question. If I am a person with a disability, I'm, I identify as LGBTQ, and I'm a person of color, where do I fit? Where do I feel like I need to give my time? Because often there's a time limit for the amount of time you can work on an employee resource group or affinity group at your office. You get three hours or five hours per month to work with these groups. Well, with intersecting identities, where do I go and where do I fit? So there's that piece. Then there's the piece of, oh, Emily, you have a disability. You should really go join the disability ERG. Well, maybe I want to join the parents, the working parents ERG. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm a lesbian and I want to join the LGBTQ group. But automatically, by what you see as my colleague or my manager or my supervisor, you see my disability and you put me in that box. So there's that piece of it. Then there is also, when we look at these support groups or, or um, community groups, if I am sitting in a group at, let's say, the disability group, and I'm struggling with my disability, and so the people are trying to help me from a disability lens, and as a, if I, let's say I was a person of color, I'm sitting there and people are only talking about the fact that I have a disability. Well, it must be because of this, it must become that, you must get another accommodation. When in my head, I'm thinking, maybe it's because I'm a person of color, but nobody's considering that as an option. I should have gone to the people of color ERG today, and so I could have talked about that side of me. Or even more, if we're only thinking about our identities as we would be in those groups, our, our, our group identities, meaning disability or people of color, LGBTQ, we're not thinking about the whole person. This whole person, which is whatever identities they are experiencing and they live, they can't bring their whole self to that meeting. They can't bring their whole self and have people that truly understand what they're going through or what they're dealing with or what they're managing or trying to brainstorm because they're only thinking about one piece of this person. And this person is like, no, I think it's more than just that, but you guys don't get it because you're not part of that identity. And so the bottom line about intersectionality and the thing that I am extremely passionate about is 
if I learn about racial equity, if I learn about the rights of LGBTQ, if I stand up for those who aren't in my disability group, and I learn to be equitable towards everyone, that is what's going to bring us all along faster. And Audre Lorde is, is coined in for saying, you know, all oppression is connected. And if we can all link arms as oppressed groups, we can all move further, faster, and do better for the world. And I was reading Judith Human's book um, about, you know, being a person with a disability. And it was so impactful for me to read how the Black Panthers, for example, stood up for the disability rights movement. They helped uh, the people with disabilities do the stand-ins and stand in for the laws that they were standing up for. And the Black Panthers were the one bringing them food and bringing them supplies and bringing them what they needed in order to stay in those government buildings I think it was 60 something days. I can't remember. But incredibly impactful. If the Black Panthers wouldn't have stepped up and said, hey, we're going to help out, the people with disabilities would not have been able to stay there as long as they did. And so it's situations like that where we need to come together. We can't only stand up for disability rights. We can't only stand up for Black Lives Matter. We all have to come together and be like, okay, this is my identity. I feel oppressed all the time. This is your identity. You feel oppressed all the time. Okay, let's come together. Let's build those bridges and let's figure out how you can stand up for me and I can stand up for you and how we can get into the rooms that maybe we wouldn't have been accepted into and then bring the people along. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I as a white person am able to enter many more rooms that maybe a person of color would not be accepted into because of my white skin. Now, if I can open the door and bring along my partner that I've built a bridge with to talk about racial equity, to talk about disability, to talk about both of those topics, to talk about anything, I'm then helping them along in their journey because I have privilege that they don't. Now, I was just said the word privilege, which often is a trigger for white people. And if you don't know me, I identify as white, cisgender, um, with a disability. And so when I say privilege, privilege is something that we all, we all, every single person on this planet have. I, as a white person, have privilege over a person of color because of my white skin. A person of color who is able-bodied has privilege, able-bodied privilege, over me because I have a disability. I, as a straight person, have privilege over a person who identifies as LGBTQ. Again, the person, uh, the, the person that identifies as LGBTQ has privilege over me because if they don't have a disability. So we all have privilege. White privilege is something that has definitely been thrown around because it is there's no disputing it. White people have privilege over other people of color, period. 
There's no disputing that. However, I'm here to tell you all that we all have privilege, and it's not a bad thing. And we have to stop looking at it as a bad thing. It's simply the key to unlock the door in certain situations. And if we can start unlocking the door for other people because of our privilege, that's how we're going to move. That's how we're going to change the world in front of us. The focus right now is on white privilege because of the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter movement, and that's just because it's in the media. It's always been there. It's always been something that we have. We didn't just gain privilege. No, there's a reason the world is like it is right now. And so what can we do with that privilege? Stop being defensive. Everyone, not just white people, but everyone, take your privilege and ask, okay, my privilege isn't a bad thing. It's just something I have. Now, what can I do with it? If If I don't like that I have it, The thing you can do is change it. You can change what you do with that privilege. We change how we do good with that privilege versus bad. Instead of oppressing others with our privilege, we bring other people up with our privilege. It's actually a tool in our tool belt right now, hopefully not forever, um, that we're able to use to bring others up. So I think that's a big part of intersectionality that I really appreciate and I really want to acknowledge and I really want others to acknowledge that our privilege is not a bad thing. Our privilege is something we can use to bring others up. And that's not just white. It's not just black. It's not that simple, which is a good thing. But look at your able-bodied privilege. Look at your age privilege. Look at your power privilege. Look at your... Um, skin color privilege, your ethnicity privilege, your status, your immigrant status privilege, your able-bodied privilege, your um, LGBTQ gender privilege, your gender privilege. So we're not even just talking about LGBTQ. We are also talking about man versus woman. There's no doubt that that's still inequitable these days. There are more men in the workforce than women, and especially in leadership positions, and salary is not even close for women as it is men. So men, it is what it is. How can you bring it up? How can you make a change? So, privilege. But in order to understand privilege, we have to understand our identities, our intersecting identities, and that goes to the identities of all. So, um, when I talked about at the beginning, identities, um, intersectionality as uh, the choices we, we make versus the things we were born with. Now I'm talking to the piece of the choices we've made, who we are. So as me, I'm a white working mother who has a disability, who's cisgender, who's um, athletic, that plays into who I am, who um, values education, who, you know, all these things that I, and, and I'm educated, so I have a master's degree. That is a privilege over somebody who doesn't. But then how can I stand up for those who don't have the privilege of education like I do? Um, how can I stand up for those who are not white? How can I stand up for those who, who are not cisgender?
So how do I make change in those areas? How do I use my privilege as a tool to help others move up? Going back to just intersectionality for a moment, and this is the not uplifting, uplifting part. The more identities people experience, the more oppressed, the more violence, the more fear, the more discrimination, the more likely they are to experience life in a much different way that all the rest of us do. So statistics show that female identifying trans people of color are experiencing the most violence right now the most oppression. When we look at the housing situation, trans folks and trans folks of color, again, are experiencing houselessness at higher rates than anyone else. The identities, the more identities you pile on, and these identities, again, now I'm going back to the intersectionality that Kimberly Williams Crenshaw originally talked about, which were those identities that we don't choose. Those people experience the most discrimination. And those people are the ones we need to figure out how to use our privilege to make sure that the violence and the discrimination isn't happening to those people. And those are the ones that we are talking about when they're most affected, most impacted by discrimination. So I know that's not something to think about that is amazing and uplifting, but it's the truth. And we have to speak the truth. And we have to let everybody hear the truth. Before I wrap up, there's something that I really hear about a lot especially in the disability community and that's when we start talking about the oppression olympics you know black lives matter what about disabilities what about disabilities what about disabilities and the black lives matter movement the analogy i like the most is all lives matter yes all lives matter. There's no doubt about that. There's no question about that. And there's the Black Lives Matter movement is not disputing that fact. But it's like cancer. If we're going to stand up and fight for breast cancer, or we're going to stand up and um, have a prostate cancer run, or we're going to stand up and make sure that, you know, lung cancer, if we're going to separate the cancers, that doesn't mean cancer in itself is not important. It doesn't mean that breast cancer is more important than prostate cancer. It doesn't mean that, you know, lung cancer isn't as cool as breast cancer. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that people are standing up for their experience in life. And so, yes, all lives matter. No doubt about it. Black lives matter needs to stand out. It needs its time. It needs its light. It needs its place so that more people aren't getting murdered. And so, when we're talking about All Lives Matter and this Oppression Olympics, this is not the Oppression Olympics. Race is not more important than disability. Disability is not more important than LGBTQ. LGBTQ is not more important than age. Age is not more important than anything. We're not in the Olympics. 
And if we can get, especially Black Lives Matter, the black community, the African-American community, the community of color, if we can get them lifted up and stop the discrimination and stop the the killings and stop that, we're all going to benefit from that. And yes, is some of this stuff happening in the disability community? Absolutely. It's 10 times more likely that a person with a disability experiences sexual abuse than one without. The rate of violence, the rate of um, targeted violence towards people with disabilities is higher than those without. The fear we have walking down the street and wondering if somebody's going to come up on me because they see my guide dog, they know I'm blind, and are they going to take advantage of me? Yes. Is that real? Yes, it's real. And the violence is real. And also, we have to consider where's the intersection of that? And when we look at the killings that are happening to people of color, and if we were to line up how many of those people were experiencing disability, and I think there's one major one that is well known where the child had autism and he was black and he was wearing a hood and so therefore he was scary and he wasn't responding like a normal quote-unquote I say that with quotes kid would respond and he was shot and killed that's intersectionality they weren't considering that he had a disability and they were making assumptions because he was black and that is intersectionality and I know the disability community is scared and I know that they want the attention that disability deserves and the more this social justice and these this movement of Black Lives Matter becomes accepted, the more that door is opening for us as well. The more that people are considering that this stuff does happen. This is not just people making allegations anymore. This stuff is happening on our social media feeds, on our channels, and the more that we can make sure that Black Lives Matter gets that attention, the more we are going to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen for people with disabilities. So, this is not the Oppression Olympics. Figure out how you can use your privilege to support other groups, to stand up for the Black Lives Matter movement, to stand up for LGBTQ rights, to stand up for other groups, because together we are going to go further. Together, as all oppressed or minority, or however you want to put underserved, forgotten communities, the more we can come together, the further we're going to get. So, I know that one was kind of heavy today. Um, reach out, check out the website, submit questions to purico.com. I appreciate you all. Have a great week and figure out how can you stand up for others. How can you use your privilege, which is not a bad thing. It's just something you have. And hopefully in the future, no one will have privilege. 
and we'll be able to live in a world of true equity where we just do what we got to do to get people what they need to live in the world and prosper. Take care, everybody, and I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N dot org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.